Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings, as much as the buildings themselves. The Bower is an office block that recently has been refurbished and revitalized into a new mixed-use place. It's located on Old Street Roundabout in London. The Roundabout is also known as Silicon Roundabout and it's seen a lot of development over the past decade as the tech industry moved into the area. It's also one of the most deprived areas in the country. We talked to Philip Turner of AHMM and Tom Anderson of Helical about this changing place. Uh, Tom Anderson from Helical, we are the developers of The Bower. So the best place to start is with you guys describing where we are, where we're standing. So we're currently standing on the 12th floor of the tower, which is uh, phase two of the overall Bauer scheme um, and uh, Philip probably explained when we acquired the scheme and the sort of rationale and design behind what was here to start with is that is that worth sort of starting at the beginning and then working forward absolutely so we had the call from Helical who were a new client to us at that point um, it's sort of mid 2012 and you bought the building or no you were looking at the building we did a due diligence exercise and you bought the building which was a kind of tired pair of office buildings previously built for and owned by British Telecom and the warehouse building at the back had been used uh, to print their bills in and was a very robust and uh, sort of industrial building. The, the tower where we're standing now was their offices, one of many obviously through, the, through, through London and other places. Um, and had been built in a much more sort of mean way with lower floor to ceilings and kind of uh, much less structure. It was actually quite a weedy, flimsy building. Um, and in between uh, these two buildings and others surrounding us was a kind of little sea of car parking, a lake of car parking, which sits down there where we can now see a new street and people walking through the site. Um, and that uh, really was the kind of third piece of a 1960s idea about town planning. So instead of London running through, as it does all around us, this and the buildings next door were created on the Cartesian grid of the modernist city plan. And a slab block on the front and a sort of lumpy warehouse at the back were complemented by a, by a basement car park and a loading bay. So it was, it was about as un, uninviting as possible. The buildings weren't out of use, they were used, um, they were rented. Um, they were kind of half full and they were pretty miserable I inside. Um, and that's, that's where we picked up the, the beginning of the seven years that it's taken to work this scheme through with Helical. Yeah. And you talk about why Old Street was appealing at that point for the, the yeah. purchase. So, so uh, it was actually that the whole estate was in administration. So there was the opportunity to, to acquire it from administrators. Um, and we saw um, the growth of Fringe um, London. Um, with our experiences historically in, in the west of London, so Shepherds Bush, Hammersmith and the like. Uh, and we saw an opportunity to um, that, that, that fringe East London um, around the city was going to be a growth hotspot going forward. And part, part of the reason for that was the, the number of opportunities, the, the land that was available out, out, out um, towards the, the fringe in the east. Um, cost of living was another important factor. We saw um, sort of younger generation living out further east than west because you know cost of housing and renting etc and also you know we are on top of old street roundabout which um 
you know, uh, whilst many frustrations with our current politicians at the time, they had identified this area as, you know, London's Silicon Roundabout, if you want to call it that. Um, and there was a big uh, PR push towards investment in this location, um, you know, growth business technology, entrepreneurial, um, creative businesses being based here, which is obviously very close to the city, which, you know, there's that sort of slightly strange, you know, uh, traditional services businesses based there but obviously that's where the you know the, the money is the cash is the investment is um but then tacking onto that all the points i've made about you know cost of living etc and, and east um transport infra infrastructure is very good here you've obviously top of the northern line um so we felt this was a, a fantastic opportunity to buy a collection of unloved poorly managed perhaps not particularly architecturally pleasing buildings and turn them into um, something that was fit for modern use and purpose um, in a growth area of London. Now, traditionally, this area didn't really have the same per square foot kind of cost. Yep. So there was a sense that refurbishment was better than building. Was that the case here? Or was there, why was there a reason to retain some of the, because you have retained? We have retained quite a lot of the existing, the existing buildings. Um, you're right in terms of the rents, and that was the reason why it was, was an interesting place to buy because the rents were low and therefore a lot of businesses were based here and you know we're next to Shoreditch which is very creative lively nightlife etc and obviously Farringdon which is equally as creative so you're in a in a great spot sandwiched between those two um, exciting environments alongside being close proximity to the city um, but we felt that whilst externally they weren't particularly attractive we could work with some of the existing architecture and you know Philip will probably better to explain what we've done there um, and, and in this building here, which is largely a refurbishment to the extent that we are standing within the existing frame of the building. I'm going to explain how we've you know, extended the footprint of that building. Um, but just touching on Philip's point earlier, the huge challenge to us was bringing life and uh, extracting value from the rear of the estate. Um, so it was creating this street through the middle and the warehouse building, which is largely existing, um, and the studio building, which is on the right, John Brown Media's building, which was new. But Philip, do you want to sort of explain the various well, I mean, you've worked with uh, HMM has, you know, famously worked with the Angel Building, which was again stripped mm -hmm. back to the mm -hmm. to the frame. You've mm -hmm. done that at and, and owned by British Telecom before Derwent bought it. What is it about those? British I know they telecom? had a habit of making really poor buildings in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, well, we've worked with a lot of buildings. The the back building, the warehouse, is a no brainer. Um, the quality of the space, the uh, you know, enjoyable qualities of the existing structure, which have these big column heads, these sort of flared mushroom heads on them. The, the generosity of floor to ceiling, the relatively compact plan, it's a 20 meter wide building, and um, uh, you know, generous core actually, industrial lift sizes and everything else, meant that dragging that down and replacing it was, would be a complete waste of time and energy and money and carbon and all of those things. The, the difficult one's actually the front building, because as I said, it wasn't a particularly good building. And looking around, you can still see uh, a double row of columns down the middle of the plan, which is that classic 1960s corporate design. You would have walked down here and in through your door into your office, and this is where the tea trolley would have come. We did wrangle, I think, with the costs, the relative costs of a knockdown or a refurbishment on the front um, against values, and it was through um, what we think is a relatively ingenious piece of design, although it's not, nothing in this world is, is truly original, which was a kind of um, staggered section of double height spaces that we felt we could bring the value and the additional area to the front building, to the tower, 
um, that, that uh, our client desired. So what, where we're standing now on the south side of the building, we've walked across the floor plate um, from, a, from um, uh, the side where you can look down into the street to the point where actually your, your demise goes from 2.7 metres tall to 5.5 metres tall. And because these double height spaces are staggered and sectioned into logs, every floor gets one of these. Every floor has a piece of really fantastic space, really tall and generous space. And they can be linked. So if two floors go together, um, then these glazed screens can be taken out, staircases can be inserted. And that's exactly what's happening downstairs. We can show you that in a minute. So when we explain this to people who are listening, really, what you've done is almost an extension of We've the front. We've done a side extension, as you do on your <laughs> Victorian house. We've done the side return, but we've done it over Double 17, 17 stories side of double, return. Exactly. 17 stories high. Exactly. That, <laughs> and that's because the demise at both the front and the back of the building, the, the, the red line ownership, um, enabled us to do it. And, and the, the front sits on this, these two very gent, sort of grand columns that form a colonnade, which is a civic sort of motif, I suppose. Um, and at the back, again, a covered eating area facing into that new courtyard. So it's, it's actually working quite hard. It's, it's adding a, a lot of area, it's creating a lot of drama, but it's also bringing light into the plan um, and increasing letability. So what would have been the, the danger of not doing this? What was the, the benefit analysis of putting this in? Is it to make it more attractive? It's, yeah, to make it more attractive and to, to you know, uh, justify the expense of doing the works because you're getting the extra area. So um, yeah, it, it, it's a very unique space. It's pretty flexible. And actually it's really interesting to see how the various occupiers within the building have um, fitted it out in very different ways and space planned it different ways. You know, some love the fact that you've got a regimented set of columns down the side because you can sort of you know, segment your teams. Others hate it, but actually have turned the sort of, uh, the flow of the space north, south rather than east, west. So, you know, they're very much accessing it and then using the double height space to access upper, upper floors. And indeed, uh, you know, we'll show you on images down there, but one, one occupier in the building, Farfetch, who um, are on the 7th, 8th, 9th floors, are actually extending, uh, putting a stair through three floors, okay. uh, which is maximum in terms of fire regs, but, you know, it's going to be really dramatic, and we'll show you on the CGI down here, but it's going to be really dramatic, really interesting use of space, really flexible use of the space, because it's, it's performing a, a multitude of different functions, both in terms of auditorium, both in terms of stairs, um, you know, breakout, etc. And in terms of people who come, uh, who want to be located here, um, they, I think, are, a, a, you know, they're a great tenant for Helical. Um, and they're a sort of East London classic in that they're a creative business with a lot of other administrative functions. They're a fashion company. They took three floors of the warehouse, which was finished, um, what, over two years ago now. They've been very successful as a business and they've grown and grown. They didn't want to leave the Bower because their staff enjoy it so much. They're not only in the right place, but they like the building they're in. But they then said, can we please have more of this building and of course the answer is no, the building is full and it's only just been let, so it's not possible to shuffle people around yet. Um, and they said, well, we don't really want space in the tower. We think the tower, which architecturally looks very different from the outside and has this sober new curtain walling, whereas the back building has got bricks and retained structure and all of that stuff. Um, they said, we, we, we actually think internally it might be 
kind of the antithesis of what we want. It might be too bland or it might be too corporate or whatever. So we did a piece of work with them. They use, a, um, they use their own interior designer called Studio Fiber, who are very good. But in order to get the process rolling, AHMM did a piece of work to say, your current office looks like this, works like this, and your tower office can work and look exactly the same. So that's what pr pr created the drawing that we have in front of us. And they, once convinced of that, took it and have now, they're finishing, I think, I believe today, or yesterday, they've completed a three-month, four-month fit-out of their demise downstairs, and it's doubled the amount of space that they have. So can we talk a little bit about the businesses in here? Because you've got WeWork, which is um, interesting, and then you, when you look at the Farfetch as well, you've got what looks like they've kind of almost got cubicles or something, little tiny spaces so down what, there. So what they've done <laughs> the is actually there. they've used, so they were keen to utilize the building sort of north to south, and they've actually used the, these columned areas as their booths, breakout areas, and, and you know, rooms. meeting rooms, exactly, which is, which is a really interesting way of So they it. circulate through here. Yeah. They're, what, they're two floors below us, but yeah. they will arrive effectively here, if you yeah. like, and their stair disappears, and they've then cut holes in our new steel um, decks to run through three floors. Yeah. So they've used the plan in exactly the way the 1960s didn't use it, yeah. by, by putting all the, the stopping space in the middle and all the circulation space at the perimeter. The anti-corridor. Well, it is the anti-corridor to an extent, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Whereas you can imagine a WeWork, for example, have done it, they've used the corridor as a corridor, basically. Because they do lots of cellular space. Because they segment it off, exactly. So, um, yeah, in terms of the businesses we've got here, um, in, in phase one, which was the warehouse building, and the studio building, we've got um, Farfetch, obviously a fashion tech business. We've got CBS, the media business. We've got Stripe, which is an online payment agency. We've got Allegis, who are a recruitment business, and Pivotal, who are another tech business. Um, have I forgotten anyone? I think that's John Brown Media, obviously, in the studio building, which is a publishing business. Um, so, and, and they're a really interesting example, actually, because they were based out in, um, essentially, sort of Shepherd's Bush, West Kensington area, um, and which historically has been where the chief exec and lived in Notting Hill and all that sort of thing. Uh, but they were very early to see the, the move east and felt that their employees were ultimately going to be based east. And so they made the you know, pretty big decision back then to move the entire business from west to east. And they were actually our first occupier in here in a deal that was agreed in October 2014. Um, and so, yeah, big move. And actually, we've seen that happen with others. Um, and, you know, they're in, the, they're in the standalone building, which was new um, and, you know, going very well. Um, but they were lucky because they secured a very good rent as well because they were the first in. And at the time, the rents were beginning to move, but they committed early and the rents can, have continued to move on. Uh, and they've you know, secured a very, very favorable rent, which um, you know, will change on rent review, et cetera. But you know, they've, they were in early and um, have, have succeeded. In You've got this move of, uh, I guess, a shifting gravity eastward. What's happening in the West? Uh, well, is there anyone is, left? So, no, so, funnily enough, it, it, I wouldn't say the pendulum's in, swung entirely back, but there are now businesses saying, well, actually, you know, the, the West offers relative value. Um, what the West can offer and the East can offer, um, but in certain areas like White City, for example, publicists, you know, have taken a huge amount of space there because you can get massive floor plates. At TV um, Centre, which we've the old BBC, exactly. done with the Exactly. So, um, yeah, it's not the death of the West by any means, but it is, you know, these areas historically were 
sort of you know not really office locations and there now is a, a really strong office market and rents have increased on the back of that yeah i read a staggering um uh it was a uh, re report that said this neighborhood is now the most expensive creative and tech neighborhood in the world and it's actually more expensive than san francisco now <laughs> yeah san francisco but what, what i know a little about it not very much but i mean they have a lot of workplace out of town so workplace rates are relatively low obviously living rates are sky high because everyone wants to live in a, a hip part of san francisco so i'm not sure they i think they might have a slightly different problem but mm. but yeah. you're Still, right that's a significant yeah change of fortune in quite a small period of time because yeah. often these decisions you're making in 2014 2015 and probably even the rents that people are paying now. Yeah, I mean, rents, rents have moved a lot here, but rents in London moved a lot from basically 2012 onwards. And over a period of less than five years, they doubled across London. Doesn't matter whether you're west, north, south, central, east, that, that's just happened. And there were other reasons behind that, um, mainly driven by permitted development rights, which allowed uh, office owners of office buildings to convert to residential without planning consent. So that took out your secondary and tertiary market, which basically meant the cheap value space went and therefore supply reduced and demand was growing because the economy was doing better and etc etc so you can see why rents moved in London generally so this you know this across London that has happened but this is probably this has definitely outperformed um, and we're now in a situation where you know there is we're in full employment um, there is a war for talent and at the end of the day um, in order to recruit the best uh, you need to be in the best buildings because the building is part of your brand, essentially, um, and you know very much key to culture and environment. So um, we see that businesses are now acknowledging that, and actually the reality is a few pounds per square foot on your rent is de minimis in terms of the costs of recruiting and replacing good people. You know, I think the stat is £40,000 re to replace one person if they leave the business um, in terms of you know, recruitment fees and loss of productivity, etc. So £40,000 on your rent, you know, if, you can save, if you can hold on to two more people by being in the best building, it, you know, paying a little bit more on your rent is a no-brainer. It more than outweighs the, 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 the savings. So we, you know, we very much see that. And, and you know, Fina Blah is a very good example. They're on the top building, I'm sorry, the top floor of this building. So floors six, uh, 15, 16, and 17 were new build elements. Yeah, have a look at the section here. here. If you look at the side here, you can see how the interlocking floors run up to the top of the uh, existing building. And then you've added and three And then there are three the... on the top. Mm -hmm. And they are built, we can go up and, and have a look at one if, um, if you'd like, but they are built as we would build a new office building, effectively on this site. So they don't have any double height spaces because they're four metres floor to floor. They don't, and, and, and at four metres floor to floor, you get great daylight penetration to the middle of the plan. They don't have the columns up the middle. They just have big span steel. They're column free. They're, well, they're, they're, I'll draw them on. They're there, not, are, there, are columns. there are columns <laughs> inevitably here that should be on. Yeah. But apart from that, it was more, quite surprising they feel that pretty they column free. <laughs> and, um, and as Tom says, that actually creates a diversity within the building. So there, there is a slight change, not only of floor plate size, but also um, of character as you reach the top. Yeah. So this is slightly out, out, of, out of date, this plan. But as you say, we've got floors one to six elected WeWork. Um, we actually see that as a good amenity for the estate. You know, it offers that swing space for businesses who maybe have, um, you know, one-off um, six-month requirements, short-term requirements, swing space, expansion, contraction. Um, they are actually full, we're led to believe, um, and have a 
multitude of different businesses in there. Um, we then have got Farfetch on uh, 789, which we've talked about, and then we've got Infosys or Brilliant Basics who are fitting out, as we can see, on 10 and 11. And then top down, we've got 17th floor led to essentially a business called Phenoblar, which is part of TravelX, and it's their tech incubator. Um, and they're owned or based in Abu Dhabi. And, you know, they came here. And if we go out there, you'll see why. You know, the views are absolutely outstanding. And for them, in order to get the best algorithm builders, you know, people, individuals on tech, fintech, business um, employees, they're going to win out because it's a fantastic environment to work in. So they felt paying that premium to be on one of these top three floors was well worth the money. Um, and, you know, and, and we did that deal just, just after Christmas. So, um, so we've now got five floors available in the market at the moment, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, um, with good interest in those from one occupier actually wants the lot, tending to be, the rest of the interest tends to be for single floors or pairs of floors. Um, and again, similar type businesses, tech businesses, the odd professional services business that wants to be, you know, associated with and dealing with, you know, the, the, the tech creative industries. Um, but yeah, interesting range of um, potential occupiers and we're hopeful we'll get some more deals done in the next month or two. So take me right back down from the top floor, right to the ground and what's going on there. One thing we've got is a massive problem, which is also the name of the area, which is the Old Street Roundabout, which is which is supposed to be iconic and wonderful, but is actually a bit of a crappy bit of city. So we, yeah. <laughs> we can yeah. show you what's happening here. So um, you're right, Old Street Roundabout is, you know, well talked about. Um, it's in its heyday, I suppose it was very edgy. Um, frankly quite grimy as can be seen now the there are there are plans and um, development now has started uh, by TFL um, in partnership with essentially the London boroughs of Islington and Hackney where we we straddle um, and TFL are basically going to peninsularize this roundabout so they're going to take away the uh, north west um, traffic flow of traffic and they're going to route that to the south and the east so conveniently for, for this site, there's a new piece of public realm coming forward, which this site will be connected to. So this there site will be is no road just there. Here and in front of the No, in front of the all the three other corners, there'll be an increased number of carriageways because traffic will flow in both directions and there will be allocated space for cyclists as well. So the roundabout sorry, and it's worth saying that the um, tube entrance, which is currently in a subway environment is remodelled with a pavilion that sits within the roundabout and creates a new grade entry into the tube station. So it's quite a heavy piece of work from TfL's point of view. There's a lot of stuff in the roads, a lot of services that they're currently diverting. But it will become a project like the project at the Elephant and Castle and the project that I think is now on, underway at Highbury Corner that seeks to improve the public realm um, as well as access to the tube and control traffic. Um, so I think it, it, once complete, and, and they have finally begun, it's yeah, been, they've begun. been talked about for a decade, it, has. Uh, it will provide a blank canvas of a sort. There isn't currently a proposal for a building or a pavilion or a kiosk or anything there. And it will be very interesting to see how um, London street life takes it, takes it on. And I think one of the reasons why that's a bit of a question mark is because these buildings on this corner, I mean, they are quite defensive in the way they face the roundabout. I mean, even the newer ones, 
there's a little bit of street life, Agreed. but not much really. I think they were quite conscious that this is this is. I mean, we're watching this road; it's incredibly busy. Yeah. But, and it's, it's also, you know, from a cycling point of view, incredibly unsafe. Yeah, and that was one of the major of, drivers yeah. as well for, for for them, for TfL and the mayor particularly pushing pushing this through. Um, so it, it will, you know, become a fantastic piece of public realm, and um, and and we have. Um, you know, our scheme very much opens itself towards that with the um, retail uh, or A3 offer that we've got on our ground floors here and also with our with our muse at the back. I think so, it's just worth talking about that a little more because so this scheme and, and we, we acknowledge obviously there's a very successful commercial development across the road in White Collar Factory have both defined their ground floors in a way that in a sense copes with or relieves the existing urban condition. So it's not very nice on the roundabout. And City Road actually is quite busy and the pavement's quite narrow. So both of these projects have public realm and internal to the site. White Collar Factory has Old Street Yard. Bauer has a genuine new muse that connects to uh, Moorfields and, and to the backlands of Bunhill, which were previously kind of masked by this modernist block. Um, and they work together really well. This uh, development has what? Five restaurants, uh, two coffee yes. bars. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, and uh, and um, I'm missing something. And a gym next door. There's quite a lot going on here oh, at ground level, and a hotel, yeah. which was part of the deal originally. So, in terms of those people who want to come here, the people who want to to let floors and and attract the right talent, you not only get a lovely office space with a great view of London, but you also get that genuine activity of East London or you know, all of London really these days, at ground level. If the peninsula becomes as successful as we all expect it to be, that will continue to thrive. But, it, you know, there are cars, there are trucks out there, they will continue to be there. And actually there's a kind of off main drag route here that filters down through this site, across the road and on um, towards the city, which I think is already quite successful. They're, they're both quite secretive these little routes you know there is i think well, quite a was, nice there's quite a more grand kind of welcome to to the bowers area we, we, we think can, so i mean we benefit we, we benefit from islington's um boulevard of light yeah. yes, which got is the a grand gesture mm -hmm. yes and i think that i think that's probably a question you know how do you how do you get people to to, how do you funnel people in? I mean, is it mostly well, so we, a community for this community, clearly, and you've got enough people, really? This was like a bit of an unknown. At the very beginning of the project, we said to um, Islington Council that we felt the buildings would, would always be successful and they could be reused very effectively, but that there should be, and they would look nice, but there should be more to it than that. And we all talk a lot about public benefit when we apply to councils for planning permission. And a lot of Section 106 money is, you know, extracted from our developers' clients and spent properly through the borough. But we said to them, actually, we think we've got a real opportunity. We think there's a desire line through the site, which we can open up early on. So it was built as part of phase one and operational with a hole cut through the base of the front building, um, albeit through a construction site. But it was, it was open um, from 2017 yeah. onwards. Um, and they jumped at the chance. So uh, we thought it was a reality. We didn't do any space syntax modelling to find out if we were right, but we're at number five Old Street and we think we know the area quite well. And I come by on my bike every morning around that roundabout. So I sort of had, you know, we had a gut feel for it. 
The John Brown Media Building is effectively a stage set building, albeit 20,000 feet of stage set, but it's not a building that pays for itself really very well. You can see we're looking at the back of it now. It's actually a very complicated building. It's a single aspect, naturally ventilated building. So those little white stacks are all natural ventilation chimneys. So it's an inefficient building to build, but it makes a street. And the street has been busy throughout the last two years, not full of people who necessarily work here, or even come to the site for the burger place or the bar or whatever, but full of people for whom that is a genuine route through London. And I think the front with a grand colonnade and a hole now fully open and, and, and fully lit and running well, kind of frames that, frames that well. And I don't think we need to talk in louder terms about it because it's a, it's a tertiary route. It's a, it's a muse rather than a, it's not a grand avenue. So, you know, you find out about it over time it becomes your place. I think that's quite a nice way of, of it operating. Yeah. There's quite a dramatic level change, presumably because that is. was a loading car park, yeah. car park and loading bay. And um, was that a challenge to kind of think yeah. we're going to we're going to do this arch and bring people through, but then actually? Absolutely. So when you come through the arch into the court that faces the front door of the building, that is at a raised level where it was not at a raised level before. So that is a deck, in a, it's a 1960s word deck, but it covers tanks and stuff. And we debated at long, uh, for, for a, a great length whether to run that level through the site. We could have. The disadvantage commercially would have been that you, you would lose a floor of the studio building, also governed by rights of light cutbacks. But also in use, you would lose direct access to the lower ground floor of the warehouse building. And with those steps, which are not really a London condition, there are some in the Inns of Court, Exmouth Market, various other places, but they're not many, right? But with those steps, we can bring bikes down, you ride into the bike stores, 450 bikes down there, and all of the units that face into that street, like Draft House, which we can see, have a variety of floor-to-ceiling heights. So they go from two, two and a half up to sort of five. So again, it's about a real kind of spatial, trying to be as generous as possible. The price for it is the steps. The price is you've got, with a lift, publicly accessible 24-hour lift, but, but the price is you've got to walk down some steps, which we think is worth. There is a lovely moment at the end of that, that Muse Lane where it encounters the old street and there's kind of a, an older building there with, I don't know if it's a cafe or a pub. A or, pub, yeah, yeah, yeah. fashion, yeah. yeah. That, that's a really lovely moment actually where it kind of all of a sudden feels like London again. And yeah. I, I imagine you would have lost that with the deck. You would have been up in, up in the air yeah, and the pub would have been somewhere else below yeah. you. But the control of levels is, is, you know, one of those great kind of urban design skills. I think we've got it right. I think we've got, we've got our entrance and our court and the front right. And, this, and the strange bit is the need to walk down those steps. But, you know, it, give, it brings a character, uh, not unlike that little bit just off Exmouth Market where you drop down towards Clerkenwell Close. Um, it brings a character to the site, actually. Do people sit on the stairs? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the other key component to, to that sort of getting life into the back of the scheme was, was AHMM coming up with the central reception, which serves both buildings, and actually sitting it within the heart of the estate and, and at the rear of the main building, which, you know, normally if you're designing an office building, you stick it bang on the front, you know, it'd be the first thing And all see. of the property agents wanted and that's what a revolving door on, on, on Old Street. Yeah. Um, 
but it's that's that, that's been a really clever thing to do because obviously you get people into the estate they can then see what all the amenities are and you know it creates that sort of buzz and an and attractive environment and then also it allows us to sort of um uh, bring some more life to the front of the building and open ourselves to you know old street as you've as, you, as you've alluded um and that public realm that's going to be there so we've got a new restaurant which is literally just open serata hall on one side and when we've signed an agreement to lease for another restaurant on the other side which should complete in a in a few a few weeks so you know they're fully let and again it's just adding to that amenity of of, of the estate and that overall sort of exciting environment there's a bit of a rising panic about air pollution is is the roundabout a concern for that do you hear that from residents or is well, it we're just on day we're on day two of the ultra low emission zone yes it's Sadiq Khan has turned it into a, a you know a headline issue for everyone quite rightly um, I think that the roundabout is one of those hotspots for it I think London will get cleaned up pretty quick not just because of the ULES but because of the technology of electric vehicles um, I hope that the GLA is able to continue to push it not only to the wider zone but also you know, organising last mile deliveries and so on. The traffic in London is not great, but it is definitely a lot better than it used to be. And I think that we have to keep that going. And there are some boroughs who are lagging behind, but um, I, I, you know, I think it will be a positive story for the next five, five years. And uh, you know, one thing that Philip's touched on is, in all our schemes, in fact, you know, we are putting in cycle stores and showers and lockers. And you know, five, six years ago, that wasn't very commonplace. Now it's run of the mill. You know, the demand for space to store your bikes, wash, but lockers, etc., is you know, is, it's a key amenity to a building from an occupier perspective. And to an extent, it's kind of assumed to be there now. So you know, we've got 400, 450 plus spaces down undercover that serve both buildings. 30 odd showers or whatever it is, X hundred lockers. So, and that all goes back to that environmental thing. People are cycling more. Uh, and then hopefully with the tube improvements and the entrance, I mean, I think the journey into the tube is quite important because as we touched on, all the entrances to the tube are gonna be closed off apart from the one in the uh, southeast, cor southeast corner, which is Cowper Street. That's gonna be a new entrance. And then the one that sits right outside of our scheme uh, or the Shoreditch Grind, the coffee shop, that's it. So there's good, they've, they've really thought about how they're going to get people into the tube because at the moment it's not a very pleasant experience and it can be quite congested at times. And confusing. And confusing, exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think people, yeah, the environmental thing is, is very important um, and getting better. When you look at the kind of journey of this area, when you're looking at it as a, as a piece of um, investment in this part of city, where do you, where, where do you think it could go wrong and where do you hope it goes? I mean, Brexit being one major concern, I'm sure, but in general. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, Brexit, who knows? Who knows? No one knows. Um, and we're sort of at a point now where people are, uh, notwithstanding something might happen by the end of this week, who knows whether it will, can might be kicked down the road again, but people are sort of beginning to realise they've just got to get on with life. You know, businesses are still doing well, they're still growing. Uh, in a lot of cases, they have to move because they need more space. So it's not impacting enormously on letting space. It's certainly not impacting on, on rents. We're still achieving rents beyond business plan and um, and all that sort of thing because you know businesses fundamentally are succeeding and they want to keep growing. So 
Where could it go wrong? I mean, hopefully it, hopefully it won't. Uh, you know, it's a great asset. It's performed incredibly well for us. Uh, the challenge for us is to find the next one, which is a real challenge. And if you wanted to say something to Hackney and Islington Council about where they need to um, focus their attention in this neighbourhood, what would you, what would you be hoping for? Um, I think supportive on, on planning, um, which is always a challenge. Um, I think to be fair, they've both been pretty good. I mean, Philip was, was involved in the more, more of the planning discussions than, than I was, but you know, Islington, your business, your business is based there. Yes, um, it's a. The, the story about the drift east or west or anywhere but the centre is, I think, fundamentally good news because all of the sort of zone two boroughs would previously have otherwise become a kind of residential ghetto. I think that when we began this scheme, Islington had this as their central activities zone or whatever the term was, which may well still be the case. But thankfully for them and Hackney and Tower Hamlets and others, the spread east has brought, well, bluntly, more revenue from taxation, as well as a mix of working and living. Um, I see it now moving, you know, way east up Mare Street and, and, and so on. The Lee Valley is obviously a different kind of matter, um, which I think is fundamentally positive. The point I would make is that I think that assuming London continues to be the, pre the preeminent city for business in Europe, where it has very few genuine rivals, um, then I think we need to see a more proactive approach from boroughs to try to work with developers to identify sites that can come forward for significant development. When we look out of the window, we have this amazing view, both of the city of London to the south, which again is a kind of unique case, but also Islington and Hackney borders to the north and to the east. And many of the buildings that have been developed, including the one we're in, are on the site of the developments of the 1960s that failed. So while we can rubbish them and say their urban strategy was poor or their space planning was poor, they've given us the capacity to develop again now. And when they are all used up, we will reach a kind of theoretical impasse where we have to say, okay, how do we now develop further? What is the right building typology? It may not be a tower, but what is the right approach from designers and clients and local authorities to make sure that this amazing story of London can continue? Well, that just leaves me to say thank you very much. Thank you, it's been a real <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. Yes. thank you. Thank you very much. Great. <laughs>